Welcome to America's Top Rebitsons. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Leah Eliana Batamuna, also for Leah Eliana Bat Frima Bela, and also for Aryeh Lieb Ben Menuch. If you would like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I am so happy to have on today's show a very, very special guest. Her name is Bracha Getz. Bracha graduated from Harvard University and she attended Medical College of Virginia, and she also studied at Orsa Meach Women's Division Seminary in Jerusalem. Bracha is the author of 40 picture books that help children grow spiritually, inspiring each uniquely beautiful soul to shine. Wow, Bracha, you inspire me. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Oh, thank you so much. I, I've been writing books for children for a long time, and I guess they're, they're unique in that they're all spiritual books that help children's souls to shine because I try to write the books I wished I had as a child. And those are the books I really wanted. I wanted to know about the deepest things in life. I I try to take really deep concepts and express them in the clearest, simplest, and most joyful way that's possible. Yeah, so that's what I'm doing. That's so beautiful. And this way, children can really understand and begin to learn those concepts at a young age. It's really, really important. It's amazing. Exactly. And you'll see that some of my books have to do with public health. I, when, even when I was an undergraduate at Harvard, I was, I was taking courses in the Graduate School of Public Health and at the medical school because I've always been fascinated by public health. And, and but what was missing was the spiritual part. So what I realize now is in order for a soul to shine, you also have to have a healthy body. So that's, that's why it's part of it. That's why my, um, my safety books about protecting children from abuse, it, when there's abuse and trauma, it puts coverings on the soul. And then in addition to nourishment, a, a, a person usually needs therapeutic intervention as well to remove these protective coverings. So what I'm trying to do is to help children as early as possible to get on a good path in life, a meaningful path, and get life skills as early as possible so they don't have to pay to play catch up later on in life. It's yeah. so smart. It's 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 so brilliant, right? You're starting from the ground up, teaching them the right thing to do from the ground up. It's amazing. And um, later on, we'll talk about your latest book, Geared Toward Children, based on the topic that we're actually going to discuss today. So we're going to tie everything into each into itself. Um, you are my superhero because you did something that is so hard for millions of people all over the world to do. You overcame a food addiction. And really, call Hakavod, all the honor to you because this is something so hard to overcome. It, it really, really is. And I give you a lot of credit for doing it. And I'm so excited to dive deep and learn about your battles with food addiction and gain wisdom from your journey to overcome disordered eating. So I want to give you um, a chance to, to talk and I want to start at the beginning. And can you please tell us what is exactly food addiction? Yeah, well, an addiction is, is the compulsive use of something despite the harmful consequences. You just still keep doing this action or you have an involvement with a substance, even though you know <laughs> that it's harming you, you're still doing it and you can't stop. That's really what an addiction is. And there, there's a great quote, addiction is giving up everything 
for one thing. And recovery is giving up one thing for everything. You can get everything back when you give up that addiction. It's, it's really, it's, an addiction is really an imprisonment. Your world gets very, very narrow, just focused on the addictive behavior. Wow, yes. that's incredible. And it's very interesting that you put it that way because that substance, that addictive substance that you're talking about, it could be anything. Yes, of course, it could be nicotine, it could be drugs, but it could also be food. And food is legal. We eat food every day. It's a part of our, our everyday lives. But a lot of people don't realize that food is also a substance can, that can be used, quote unquote, like, like a drug, like any other kind of substance, alcohol, tobacco. It's really, you know, it, it's a serious thing if we're overdoing it on the food. And so now I really want to get go deep into getting into your personal story. So how did you in particular struggle with food? What were your biggest challenges when it came to eating? What was it like for you? Um, when you were deep, deep in your um, addiction with food. Yeah. And it's really funny. I mean, not funny, but I looked fine on the outside. Nobody could tell. And that's the thing with addictions. They're done in secret. You know, people can't recognize this about you. I looked very successful. I was at Harvard when things got really bad. And when it got the absolute worst, I was in medical school. So so um, my behaviors in medical school were so bizarre by that point. And I actually document them in my memoir that's searching for God in the garbage. What it's the only book I wrote for adults. And I like to say I didn't write it because it was mainly compiling it. I took I took the excerpts from my diaries, my journals, my letters home, and I filled in missing pieces. And and through writing the book, like I had an epiphany. It was it was I call it a psychological mystery because at the end of the book is when I understand how I was able why the why the addict why the food addictions developed and how I was able to heal, which I never saw as clearly until I put the book together. Um, so, yeah, it was it was basically fluctuating between intense dieting, like anorexic type of behaviors, and fluctuating with binge eating, so that I was never obese. And I was never like so skinny that I was hospitalized because I was doing one or the other. And apparently I, I, I read recently that binge eating is like the most common eating disordered behavior there is. So yeah. And it, it was a horrible way to live. <laughs> wow, it really, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that must've been tough for you psychologically also. Terrible. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, I, it, 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 it just it, it started eating up more and more of me, taking over my life, taking over my brain, you know, my whole being so that life was no longer enjoyable. It really it's like it eats away at you. That's what an addiction does. Yes. And, and what did it look like? How did it start for you? Let's let's start there. How did it start for you? The disordered eating? Well, like, like you'll see in the book, it's so gradual. You know, like a little comment here, someone saying, I looked overweight, maybe you should go on a diet. And then I, 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 I talk about how I was reading these magazines, the women's magazines, and it was all about diet, diet, diet. And the next page are the recipes for the strawberry shortcake. And like, what am I supposed to be doing? Getting thin, eating this cake, such confusion, you know? For sure, yes. 
And then, and then at Harvard, I started studying this. Oh my gosh, like I needed to get away from it. Instead, I became the expert at Harvard on eating disorders. Oh my goodness. Wow. So no one knows I'm getting sicker and sicker and I'm the expert and I'm giving classes on this all about anorexia. And I ended up, I, I wrote a chapter in a book that's still being used in women's studies classes like around the nation about why are so women, so many women anorexic and, you know, things like that. It was like, I, I'm making, doing breakthrough research and I'm just, but it just shows what you know intellectually is not enough. A hundred percent. I was still suffering spiritually. There was something missing. And that's part of why I went to Harvard. I was searching for wisdom. What's the purpose of life? I thought maybe I'll study hard. I'll get into Harvard. I'll find I'm going to like the best, most wisest place there is. Maybe I'll get the answer there, you know? Right. And it, it was disappointing that I got to the top and found there was nothing up there. Kind of like the emperor's new clothes, you know? It was, it wasn't what I was looking for. <laughs> Right. It lacked the spiritual component. Right. Is that what you mean? Oh, my gosh. Yes. I even <laughs> went to some like I, w I forgot this. I went to classes at the another graduate school at the Harvard School of Divinity. I didn't actually take the course. I audited it to see if I would like it. And it was about ripping apart the Bible like and 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 which, in, you know, which kind of intellect wrote this part and who wrote this part. And it was like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm here looking for something spiritual. And it was like, this is not it. And if I went to like a Hillel at that time, it was all about politics at these bagel and brunch things. And it was like, this is not it, you know? My boyfriend then was Catholic. He was actually a Jesuit. He was kind of a spiritual person. And he's the one that dragged me to the Friday night dinners at Hillel, you know, because like he, he was pulling me to do something get some more interest in Judaism, which I did keep, I kept trying, but I didn't, I had no idea. I didn't see this, the deep spirituality in Judaism, except sometimes I remember I, I went to the beach with him and his family, and I'd bring along a book of Hasidic tales, and I'd read these stories. I go, there's some spirituality here, but I don't know any people like that. You know wow. what I mean? I don't know if this is still happening in this day and age, but like I felt some, I'd be sitting there at the beach with him reading Hasidic tales, you know, and like there was something drawing me, but I didn't know where to take it, you know? Wow. Amazing. Wow. And then later on, you eventually learned, you got, you learned more about Judaism and you got more spiritual and then you really found what you were looking for. Well, I had a six week break between my first and second year of medical school. By then, by the end of my first year of medical school, I was dating a Southern Baptist. My parents were like, my mother was really upset. We want you to be with someone Jewish. Why don't you go to Israel for the summer? Six weeks. Do whatever you want. Actually, I was, I, I, I got a volunteer position at Hadassah Hospital, counseling people on the oncology ward. And um, basically, my mother said to me, do whatever you want, but just don't contact this this guy I knew from childhood who became a religious fanatic, you know? So of course I contacted him immediately. And like, I'm like, you know, I want to be a psychiatrist, but I don't know why life is worth living and how can I help my patients? And he said, don't worry about your patients. I'll take you to some schools where you could learn about the purpose of life. And, uh, Beautiful. 
that's what happened. Beautiful. Amazing. Amazing. So, okay. So I want to go back to what your, um, what your addiction looked like on a day-to-day basis. So you said you alternated from anorexia to binge eating. So let's start with the anorexia. So they were like days when you weren't eating anything, were you drinking? What did those anorexia days look like? You, yeah. I, I put, I put in my diary exact in my diary in this book. Yes. Yeah, searching. Twitter, I put in here exactly what we, this was like, like, I didn't want to go into the cafeteria because that would be too obvious that I'm taking one meal after another, more and more servings. So I wouldn't even go into the cafeteria. And this is like the lowest, a lot of low points, but one of the lowest. So I would take things out of the fridge that belonged to other people in the dormitory, like a bunch of carrots that someone put there Mm -hmm. and eat the bunch of carrots. You know, I mean, it was just a horrible life in every way. And I talk about the worst part was when I would go, I'd be so hungry. That's why it's called, it's called searching for God in the garbage because of what that means metaphorically, but I was actually doing it. I would go in the medical school building after everybody left, they'd throw their garbages in the garbage. And since I wasn't going to the cafeteria, I'd find like a half a sandwich of ham and cheese that someone threw away. You know what I mean? This is yeah. what I was, this was, this, this was my life. Wow. And what I, what I realized at the end of the book, what was the meaning to this? <laughs> I was scavenging. I was trying to redeem what still had value wow. because my heritage had been thrown away. You know, what had meaning had been thrown away. I, I, I wrote a poem about it, kind of like the wheat germ. You know, it was when everyone discovered the white bread sliced Wonder Bread and the wheat germ was just tossed. And that's what had the nutrients. That's what had the, the nourishment of Judaism was just tossed. You know, like when the generation, my grandparents' generation came over from, you know, Russia and, you know, the tefillin ended up in the ocean, in the Atlantic Ocean. It was tossed overboard. They, they never had an education. My, my mother learned, didn't learn how to read Hebrew. She didn't know Hebrew. She never had an education. Even if they had a yearning, they didn't even know about this. My, my father, who was such a wonderful person, but I'd say to him, do you believe in God? He goes, you know, I don't know. I mean, I said, why are you living? I'd ask him these questions and he'd say, I'm living because like life is like a TV show. I just want to see what's going to happen next, you know, and and that was it. But like he he was such a good, sweet man, but there was something missing and I didn't even know what it was because I wasn't sure I was a soul. So I didn't know that I was missing spiritual nourishment. I just knew that I was always desperately hungry for something. And that desperate hunger is what I see as the basis for addictions of all types. Um, What Rev Noach eventually taught, what I learned from Rev Noach Weinberg when I got to Israel that summer is what really changed my life because he had an answer that what is the purpose to life that should I, should I explain this right now? Do you, I, yeah, the, yeah, uh-huh. the purpose to life he explained is to experience the greatest pleasure possible. And this was like, what, this is Judaism. What do you mean? Like 
here's this man with all in black and a long white beard. And he says the purpose of life is to experience the greatest pleasure possible. This is based on the Ramchal. And, and, and he talked about the pleasure ladder with five rungs. And, you know, he, when I was first, when I saw Asha Torah, they had in those days a big picture of a bagel with like a tons of locks and bagels sticking out of the, out of the bagel locks and uh, cream cheese. And it would say something like, is this the culmination of 3000 some years of Judaism? And I go, oh my gosh, that's what I found. I went to all these bagels and lock brunches and this is all I got, you know? The bagels <laughs> exactly. and locks, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he'd say, he'd say, are you living to eat or living are you are you living to eat or eating to live and i was like wait a minute is he looking inside my brain what is going on i couldn't believe what this rabbi was saying he made he had such a genius and he made the torah so relevant to everybody searching in those years so we so what i found was the pleasure ladder was such an answer for me um and what I only discovered recently is the Ram Chal explains that the five, the five levels on the pleasure ladder, they correspond to the five levels of the human soul, which is why we need that nourishment in order to thrive in life. And the pleasure ladder is what brings us joy. It explains why when I finally understood the purpose to life and that there is that this world is not just anarchy and random, that there's a goodness involved, there's a goodness in us, there's a good, there's a good plan. Um, why everything changed and why was I no longer starving? Why was my soul no longer starving? Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Do you, wow. <laughs> it's amazing that, you know, what you, what you were saying about um, being hungry for something other than food is what causes addiction. It really is a powerful, powerful statement, you know, because when you're standing there in front of the refrigerator and you're eating the ice cream and the pretzels and the chocolate chip cookies and all that, you're thinking, we know I'm really hungry. I'm hungry for food. I'm hungry for sugar or carbs or whatever it is. But it's really not that that you're hungry for. It's really it's really something more spiritual. It's really something more elevated than food. It's, it's lasting pleasure. Right. The reason we keep eating is we yep. want the pleasure to last. Right. It's it's that simple. Yes. Like they'll say they'll say eat in moderation. Oh my gosh, that's just not going to happen because like when you eat that chocolate, one piece of chocolate and you want the pleasure to keep lasting, it, it's not a problem with the, the eating the junk food is the is not the problem. It's being able to unable to stop eating it. You just go on and on and on and on because you want the pleasure to keep lasting. And that's a spiritual need. That's what we don't know. The emptier we are feel inside, the more we look for externalities to fill us up. But it's really an inner emptiness. And if we don't fill ourselves up spiritually, we'll always be running on empty. That's really powerful. Like what you say, if we don't feel, fill ourselves up on, you know, on spirituality, we're always going to be running on empty. That's really, that's key. That's like really a key yes. point. Yes. Um, it's amazing. And you, you were uh, mentioning the pleasure ladder. Uh, do you recall what are the five levels of the pleasure ladder? Uh this is my thing. This is what I'm spending my life doing now. I'm, I'm like devoted 
to spreading the message of the pleasure ladder because okay. everybody needs to know about this. And, and it's universal, not only for Jewish people, because it corresponds to the five levels of the human soul. Yes. The, the lowest level are all the natural physical pleasures, the natural foods, you know, the, the amazing foods that they, they come with these peels, you know, here's a bright orange fruit and the peel keeps it juicy for months. Inside are the seeds of infinity. It keeps replicating forever. This is like an amazingly spiritual experience to eat this with mindfulness. It tastes good. It smells good. It looks the most beautiful when it's ripe. It becomes when it becomes ripe. It becomes the most the, the brightest color on the tree, ready for us to pick and have a truly spiritual experience. It fills us up physically, and it uplifts us spiritually. This is just the lowest level, and it's such an amazing level. Okay, so there, it's all the natural physical pleasures. These were designed to be delicious and nutritious. The junk food is designed, designed to be delicious and addictive. They go into labs and they purposely try to make it as addictive as possible by putting in unnatural amounts of fat and sugar and salt that don't occur in nature. That the natural food, it, and, and they drain it of the fiber, and the water and the nutrients that we need, that our bodies need to be to be nourished. So that's just the lowest level. All these, it's movement, it's it's dancing, doing yoga, you know, just running. It's everything. It's the joy we get, and that also gets the endorphins moving, and and it, it gets the you know serotonin, dopamine, gets the wonderful. Um, the wonderful hormones and the chemicals flowing in our body that are meant to move. Okay, so, and and then um, going the next level up is love. The Jewish definition of love, it's really interesting. What Rav Noach taught is, it's focusing on the virtues of another. There, it's so Every level on this pleasure ladder is empowering, not dependent on anybody else. We don't have to sit around and wait for love, wait for someone to come call us by the phone. No, it's us focusing on the virtues of another that fills us with a warm emotional feeling. That is an even more lasting pleasure than the physical pleasures. And the physical pleasures, we are connecting to another thing. With uh, love, we are connecting to another being. Each, each level up brings more level of connection. So the next level up is meaning, doing something good and meaningful in the world. Then we are branching out usually even into the community, doing something good. Above that is creativity. Here we're putting a unique part of ourselves into the world. We're giving back into the world, into the larger world. And the highest level of all is the level of transcendence, awe, wonder. And I read two weeks ago in Psychology Today, they just did this research that 
the state of awe creates the most, I wrote it down here, it's the most positive feeling, amazing, you know, yes. and it re reduces inflammation and disease causing chemicals more than any other feeling. Could you imagine? Totally mm -hmm. in line with the Ramchal, totally in line with the Kabbalistic teachings that God made how God designed this whole world. This is how we would design psychology today just came up with this research, you know? And when I was at Harvard also, when I got to Orsameach, when I was learning, they had a women's division then in Neve, they were teaching me things. I said, wait a minute, they're doing research on Harvard about this now. It's already known. It's already in the Torah. Oh my goodness, why are they spending all these millions of dollars? This wisdom is here, you know? So the state of awe is the highest level. It's also, it's when, when we have clarity about how we are connected to everybody and everything. We breathe out, we give life. The vegetation gives us life. We are we are all connected. Our energy is all connected. E equals MC squared. And the source of energy, we're all connected to the source of all energy. So it's truly, and, and just think if you've been under a starry, starry night, that pleasure stays with you your whole life. You feel a part of the universe, you know, that's that sense of awe. So each one is a more lasting pleasure. When you're standing in front of the fridge or when you just, you know that you're overeating, you've had a nice lunch, a nourishing lunch, and then you can't stop and you just keep going. Then you, you think about it. Wait a minute. Is it my body that's hungry or my soul? Exactly. And the neurons that were in the amygdala, in the, in the lowest part of your brain, that the part that feels fear and estrangement and separation and loneliness and stress and anxiety and depression, all those feelings that cut you off and make you feel separated. When you say that, the neurons start traveling up here to the prefrontal cortex and you're thinking again, oh, I'm not feeling that fear. I'm thinking, I have a soul. I'm a spirit, not I have a soul. I am a soul. I'm a spiritual being. And I need to bring in a greater pleasure. Identify what brings you more pleasure than eating right this moment or eat something healthier. With, with the healthier food, you can feel more gratitude. You can feel the vitality of life. And when you finish off the whole bag of potato chips, you don't feel that gratitude. You don't feel grateful. You feel lower, actually. But don't. We don't have to get into the shame. Just do the next grateful thing in life. Start, feel all the parts of your body that are working. Move them. This is the amazing thing. You don't even have to get up from the chair where you were just, um, you know, <laughs> eating the whole tub of ice cream. All you do is have, just have to think about what else brings you pleasure. That's the most amazing thing that I discovered. You don't even have to do the action. Just thinking about it, it changes your life from a sense of scarcity to a sense of abundance. Suddenly, there's not a scarcity of pleasure in your life. The pleasure ladder 
helps you see that there's an abundance of pleasures available to you at every moment. And they're totally empowering pleasures that you can bring into your life, even if you're stuck in a prison. And even if you're stuck in the prison of addiction, you can bring these pleasures into your life at any moment. It's really so beautiful. And I was going to ask you because, you know, there are people like really stuck in addiction. Even maybe somebody's listening to this podcast or watching this podcast and they're eating the tub of ice cream as we're speaking, you know, and they don't want to be. I know they don't want to be. You know, they don't want to be. They could really access this, these levels of the pleasure ladder. They don't even have to get out of their chair. That, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, how can you, you know, how can you get yourself up on this ladder? And I just want to review the, the steps in the ladder just one more time, just to clarify. So the very first, the lowest on the bottom, the bottom rung of the ladder is the physical pleasure. And for those who are listening on the podcast app who can't see Bracha, she was holding up an apple and an orange so that, um, you know, so those are some really great natural foods, delicious foods that you can eat. So the physical pleasures. And that also includes, by the way, exercise and movement and yoga. And it doesn't even have to be lifting weights or like high intensity exercise, even just going out for a walk, just a walk around the block. Being in nature, being yes. in nature, mm-hmm. we, we, this world was designed as a garden. We were designed, I forgot to say this, when Rav Noah spoke about the purpose of life is to experience the greatest pleasure possible, what do we want for our children? We want our children to experience the greatest pleasure possible in life. Now we know how how that was set up for us in this garden of abundance. We've just gone off track. That's really what we're here for. And here's the thing, how to get to each rung on the pleasure letter, there's just one price you have to pay. What do you think is that price that you have to pay to climb each rung on the pleasure ladder? It's a Gratitude. Really Gratitude. Gratitude, That's yes. it. It okay. gets you to each level, it's all about gratitude. Wow. And I, I recently read that the Rambam says, gratitude is the key to everything. And look, it's the essence of being a Jew, a Yehudi. What's at the essence? What the, what's at the core of Yehudi, Hoda'ah? That is the essence of being a Jew from morning till night. Gratitude fills our day. And we, get, we have so many exercises built into the guidelines of the Torah. They're all about giving gratitude. That's what it's all about. All the mitzvahs are about gratitude. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. Okay. Wow. All right. So let's use gratitude to climb up this ladder. So we start with the physical pleasures. Then we go up to love. And it's focusing on the virtues of another person. And it fills you with a warm emotional feeling. So you feel love toward them. So that's the second level. Then you're going up to the third level on the pleasure ladder. And it's doing something meaningful, like an act of hesed, helping your neighbor, cooking food for somebody who just had a baby. Um, if somebody needs a ride to the train station, things like that, doing something meaningful for other people, giving of yourself. Then the, we climb up higher. The fourth rung of the pleasure ladder is creativity. It's um, giving the uniqueness of ourselves to the world, something that we're good at, like using a talent that we have and expressing that talent to the world. And number five. And, and gi- like giving birth, yes. giving birth. And, and, mm-hmm. and you'll see that each level also we're emulating 
we're emulating the Almighty yes. more and more through mm-hmm. each level. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. Yes. No, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and the fifth level, the top of the pleasure ladder is transcendence. It's being in a state of awe and a state of wonder. And it's really having clarity that we are connected. We're all connected, as you were mentioning. We're connected to ourselves, to our fellow Jews, to our fellow people, and we're connected to Hashem. We're all connected. And you even mentioned something about the, the vegetation. It's true. Even the way that plants make oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide, they take in our carbon dioxide, and they give us back oxygen. We're all connected. And being in the straight state of transcendence, being in the state of awe, being clear about really who we are, where we are, what we're supposed to be doing. It's that's the fifth rung of the pleasure ladder. And I agree. I think I think it was if I was always operating on that state of being, I wouldn't need to like get all those ice cream sundaes, the potato chips and pretzels. And true. And I want to say I want to explain that we we are mainly on the first three levels in this life. Yes. In this life, we are mainly on the first three levels in the world to come. Yes. I always seem to me, oh, it seems so boring. Everything's great in the world to come. But no, imagine just being in a state of transcendence all the time. We can't imagine it. We have no idea what that's like. But you get this just having that awe and wonder. It's it's beyond, way beyond anything magical that you can imagine. Way beyond Mary Poppins, way beyond, you know. <laughs> it's like... And, and, and would you like me to tell you how these five levels, what the names are of the souls? You'll see yes. of the levels. It's fascinating. The nefesh, that's the part of the soul that connects to the body. Those are the physical pleasures. That's the lowest level. Then, the, then ruach, the spirit of a person. What do you appreciate about a person? That's the next level. Neshama is meaning, find, nourishing your neshama putting meaning into your life and higher creativity, giving life into the world. And the highest level is Yechida, that oneness, that sense of connection, seeing unity, how everything is connected. Those are the five levels of the soul. I, I, I just, it was like a couple of years ago when I made that discovery of this connection, just from reading the Ramchal, and I said, oh my gosh, the five levels and the five levels that Reb has been discussing. I I think, I, I, I didn't get to ask him, but I think that's how it must have evolved. Recently, I, I actually emailed Rebetzin Weinberg to ask her if, if that's how this whole thing came about. And also, as you noted, the first level is connects to the body, the physical. The next level connects to our emotions, the heart. The next level connects to our brain, the meaning. And the two levels above that are the levels above even the brain. So that's kind of extrasensory. It's like Bina, which is above. And I don't even know what the highest level is called. Um, Beyond Bina, yeah, which is like, it's that it's all those things we can't even sense right now when the, you know, you learn about an aura around a person. It's levels that we, in this life, we only get glimpses of, we, like we only get glimpses of the world to come on Shabbos. You know, Shabbos is a glimpse of the world to come. We, we get glimpses of it when we learn Torah, when we have the, the, an amazing experience of connecting with the source of all or being out in nature, we get glimpses of what the world to come could possibly be like of total transcendence. Uh, Yeah. 
Wow, it's so amazing. This is so key. This is really, this is really the, the key to what we're talking about here, overeating and, and how to uh, overcome emotional eating and overeating and binge eating. Um, so I want to, I want to bring you back for a moment to, to your own personal story. And I know that we talked about a little bit about your anorexic days, the days that you were binging. Can you just paint a picture of what those binging days look like? Oh, it was so horrible. Yes. Um, in, in the book, I think it's the most wrenching and raw episode that people have told me it was hard for them even to read about these episodes because like they know me now and they people have said to me, how could you share this kind of thing? You know, if I don't show how painful it was, you don't yeah. understand how awesome life can become. Yeah. If you don't show how low you could get, you don't see how high you could reach. It was like, I remember running around when I was in medical school. I had a like a lunch break and I would go to a store. I'd buy a Danish here. Then I'd go to another store, I'd buy a hamburger and French fries. Um, I'd go in a, to those machines and I'd get these little pies you know, and I'd eat those up. I mean, it just went on and on. And I would go to different places because I wouldn't want people to see what I was eating and all the, it, and it just went on. And it didn't matter if I was so full and bursting. That didn't matter because the hunger was still there. Right. It was, and it was, it was just horrible. That was, that was what life was like. It just went on and on and on. No end to it. Yes. Right, because it wasn't a physical hunger. Or really like, right. deep down inside, it wasn't a physical right. hunger. It's, right. uh, you know, it's, um, a long lasting pleasure seeking hunger. And once you digest the food, once you really honestly, once you swallow that last bite of whatever it is that you're eating, the pleasure is kind of gone after that. And you don't want it to be gone. You want it to be longer lasting. So you need another bite of whatever it is to continue that pleasure. Exactly. This is how long the pleasure lasts. This, this few seconds between here and here, once you've swallowed it, it's not even giving you pleasure That's anymore. <laughs> so like um, I, one of the things that they, is recommended is chewing slowly. This is a new thing. I just learned about this. It's fascinating. Yes. They said that when the person eats the last spoonful of something, mm -hmm. they do it very slowly because up until then, because like they want to savor that. But if we try to do that all along, it's, it becomes a mindful, spiritual, much more grateful experience. If we chew slowly and then that's kind of boring, just kind of chewing there. But then you start thinking about the experience and you it actually fills you with more gratitude than you would normally have when you're eating something. So it actually becomes a more spiritual experience. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now I want to see how, can you please tell us how you finally overcame your desire to eat? You know, we, we, we talked so much. We talked about your own personal experience, about going through the anorexia, the binging. We talked about the pleasure ladder and about, you know, spiritual soul seeking to fulfill us so that we really don't need to crave the food anymore. But I want to know for you personally, what was your moment of clarity? Like where you're like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm not overeating anymore. Like, how did you come to that? No, I, I think it was probably gradual. Right when I learned these first things, I was still doing all those crazy things and eating so much and then dieting. I was still integrating it. Once it became more integrated in my life, the binge eating just, just gradually dropped off until I, I noticed that like, I'm not doing that anymore. What changed? Right. You know what I mean? What's, what's different? And that's, that's when I put the book together I, oh, no wonder. 
there's always now a level of pleasure in my life that there wasn't before. You know, I'm never running on empty anymore because now I understand what the purpose of life is. Um, I understand that there's ultimate goodness. No matter when we go through challenges, there's a good reason for everything, even if I don't see it right now. There's, it's, it's, it's for an ultimate pleasure. When, there's a show called My 500-Pound Life or My 600-Pound Life. And I watched on YouTube, I, I watched a couple of episodes and the women, they say, and the men, they say, Eating is the only thing that brings me pleasure. So right. that's why I just keep eating. Right. That's what it's all about. If, if we have to just bring in more pleasures to overcome a habit, we need a greater and more lasting pleasure. It's, it's that simple. And, and I learned that it takes 400 repetitions to form new synapses in the brain to create a new good habit. If we do it joyfully, it takes 10 to 20 repetitions and we've got it down. Wow. So, so, and that's how they teach children. That's how we teach children. And that's why I'm writing for children too, to get the habits in joyfully as early as we can. And at any point, it doesn't have, it's not about restricting. This is why these kind of diets don't work. You know, how long can you keep restricting yourself? Then you want to overdo it, you know, with the binge eating. So people have yo-yo dieting, their weight goes up and down. It's not a pleasure to live like that. The secret to, to living a joyful life is living with gratitude. That's really what it's all about. Yeah, wow, such an interesting perspective. It's such an important perspective. Wow. And so it, you know, we're getting close, uh, we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you a question. I, I promised that we would talk about the, the book that you're writing, your latest book, actually, that you just published for children. I mean, I know you're the author of 40 inspirational children's books already. And your most recent book, this one, uh, Bracha's holding up, Let's Stay Healthy. It's a book specifically for children. And this book teaches kids how to make healthy food choices, eat less junk food, enjoy exercise, and get enough sleep in order to stay healthy. And I really, as I mentioned before, I really love that you're passing down these lessons that you learned to the next generation so that they can get right on track and not fall into that habit of overeating in the first place. So can you please tell us a little bit more about the book, Let's Stay Healthy, which is for kids, and also uh, in general about your passion for writing children's books that convey an important message about life? Yes, exactly. Also, Hashem's Candy Store is about the wonders that I spoke about with our fruits and vegetables, how amazing they are. A lot of it is based on Rabbi Victor Miller's teachings that I put into this book. And, and this, what I didn't cover before was what's wrong with the junk food. Some people don't like me calling it junk food, but honestly, I think it's really important. They said it's not good to, you should feel, shouldn't feel shame when you eat it, but I'm shaming the food, not the person. The food was made to be addictive. So let's not feel ashamed if we eat in an addictive way when we're eating the food that was designed to be addictive. We're just, our bodies are responding naturally to the way these chemicals are made. It's, it's not a, to shame a person, but it is to shame the food because we've, we've, we've been taught that these are goodies. These are treats for us. But they're really, they're poisonous. I, right. <laughs> that's really what it is. I and agree. I explain, we would not 
water a plant with soda. We would not do that. You, We've done these experiments. You see what happens to a plant so quickly if you water it with soda instead of water. It dies really quickly. So we instead, you know, we're, we're, we're making ourselves more unhealthy in increments. But what, And you may not see the effects for quite a while. More sensitive people usually see it sooner than later, just like more sensitive souls. I say if your neshama is more exposed, usually addicts are people whose souls are very exposed. And that's why they develop addictions, because they, they're searching for something that's missing in their life. Other people, it may be more covered up and may not notice it as much. So there are when we eat things that don't have the that have the nutrients have been drained out of them what happens it drains the nutrients out of our body in order to absorb those things i i explain in the book to children why and that's based on my scientific background too i love the why so why actually drains the good stuff from our bones. It's amazing. And, and, and it leaves us feeling hungrier and wanting more of the bad food because we're searching for more. Right. And, and, and they know now that it's inflammation that causes disease. So, so what happens when these foods that don't have nutrients come into our body? Our bodies become inflamed. They say, what? What are you giving me? This, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't natural food that I want to absorb into my body. It causes inflammation, just like when we get hurt and we start bleeding and the, the body rushes to help us. The same thing happens when we eat these foods that are not natural food. So I explain this to children and I explain that um, even things like sleep. Why do we have to go to sleep? early. No, no child wants to go to sleep. But when you wake up in the morning, do an experiment on yourself. If you haven't slept much, notice how do you feel in the morning? Much happier, much more energy when you've gone to bed early. Some of my teenage grandchildren said that. Tell me how this book has affected them. They understand it now. They're, these teenagers love to go to sleep late. So this book is designed for younger children, but I see that teenagers have been affected by this too. They're and some clubs have formed healthy food clubs. It's so beautiful. Let's stay healthy clubs and exercise. Our bodies are designed to move and we've become so much more sedentary. And type two diabetes is now way too prevalent among children when this should not be um, a disease for children. Diabetes, it's become so much more prevalent. We can prevent this. There's so many illnesses we can prevent by just living in a more healthy way. And the earlier we can take this on, the better. Oh, for yeah. sure. 100%. 100%. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And one last question. Where can people buy your books? Like the, um, the Let's Stay Healthy and your other book, Finding Garden Garbage? Yeah. All my books, my youngest children have created a website and a bookshop. And now they, they are the... 
all my books were published by, you know, other publishers, established publishers. They started their own publishing company now with Let's Stay Healthy. When I wrote this, they said, we want this to be our first book. So they, the Getz Bookshop, it's called the Getz Bookshop. You could find it online. And it's wonderful what my children have done. So that's my youngest son and my daughter-in-law that created this. Beautiful. And I tell people, if you it's wonderful to have these books at home because you can review them again and again. If you don't have money, you could get libraries to get the books, even in public libraries, my books are. And you can, um, the important thing is to get these messages out into the world so everybody can live a more joyful life. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll put the, the link to um, the Gets Bookshop in the description of the podcast. So if anybody wants to go there, they can get your book. Wonderful. Thank you so much. That's thank great. You. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bracha, for, for joining us on America's Top Rebbitsons. We really enjoyed having you here. And may all the learning we did today be for the Rafua Shalema, for Leah Eliana Bad Amuna, and Leah Eliana Frima Bela, and also for Arya Lieb Ben Manuch. Thank you so, so much. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>